Trus Rov and the Kehillah. It's uh, quite an honor to speak um, here on this yard site. Um, and um, I have actually visited the building in Berlin where the Adas Shul um, stood, second location, the Artillery Strasse, um, and my coat is hanging on page number 31 this evening because that was the address there way back then. Um, and before um, this evening, I had a look at the safer that was put out, the Berfasa de Leo that was put out um, after the Tira of Rabbi Munk. And there are a couple of points there which um, struck me as I went through, especially the uh, biographical material. Uh, firstly, um, they had a lockdown here as well in 1940. Uh, there was an aliens curfew. And as a result, they did not always have um, late night mignonim, and therefore they had to curtail Tikkun Leil Shvurs as a result in 1940. So um, there were ramifications then as well. Secondly, um, I was struck um, by a comment. It's on page 47, um, which I think, um, or 46 actually, which very much demonstrates the integrity of Rabbi Munk, but clearly um, his openness as well. Um, and the, uh, the biography writes that the personal relations of Rabbi Munk with individuals outside the Orthodox fold were often friendly. He was on good terms with the rabbi of the Northwest London Reform Congregation, though he politely declined an invitation to, intent to attend the consecration of his synagogue. And how he declined it is, uh, is simply un unreal. He writes, fortunately, you know me so well that you will not take it as a lack of courtesy if I regret to be unable to accept the invitation. Now, had he stopped there, fine. But he carries on saying, on the ground of the apparently fundamental divergence of religious views. May I wish that your road may lead you to the eternal, unchanging values of Jewish tradition. So he was polite and open, but there was absolutely not a millimetric movement in Hashkofa and in Yiddishkeit. He could, as I mentioned, just have, had, have politely declined, but that wouldn't have been utterly MS. And therefore, he added those extra two sentences. The third thing I note from the dates in here is that the Hanochas Evanapina seems to have been around August, September 1958. And by Elul 1959, the building was complete. Now, I don't know if the building looked exactly as it did today, but it's a pretty impressive record. Um, and um, whoever was involved in that construction and on the committee uh, should be involved in many future communal uh, committees because I think it would be to the betterment of uh, of uh, Klavisrol by the sound of it. Sipur Yutis Mitraim very much revolves 
around that word, sifu, the idea of speech, of talking. And indeed, now that we are post Rishadesh, there was the Havamina, as we will mention in the Haggadah. Yochel Merishadesh, I might have thought that you start speaking about Sipu Yutzias Mitzrayim from that moment on. Um, and we have a Xerus Akosov that tells us that it has to take place on the 15th, night of the 15th. But there is very much an emphasis on speech, both before and during Yitzhiya Mitzrayim, and as an outcome of Yitzhiya Mitzrayim. We are uh, very well acquainted with the um, instruction that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives to Meshach Rabbeinu, where he says to him, Luman tasapner ba'oznei bincho ben bincho, eis asheris halalti b'mitzrayim. You will give over, you will tell over to your children. And Agav, Moshe's children, were not there during Yitzhiya's Mitzrayim. They were actually the recipients of Sipur Yitzhiya's Mitzrayim, unique in Kal Yisrael at that time. But obviously it is for all time. Bincha, ven bincha. So we have here, this is the purpose, the man to suffer. We also know of uh, part of a medrash that they merited the Geula Shleishinu es Shemom, Lashenom and Shemom. The Malbushom is a questionable uh, reference in the medrash. There is one version in the Mechilta, um, the Rishonim mention it, but in the medrash it talks about the fact that they didn't speak Lashon Hara. Um, there are various other reasons given, there are four reasons given in fact in the Yalkut Shemoni uh, but these two are always there. That, that which they referred to by name and their language, they did not change. We also know that in the Haggadah itself, uh, Haggadah itself, it says, And according to some Rishonim, it means you're not Yetzir Pesach Matzah Moro, not just the Mitzvah Sifu Yitzis Mitzrayim. Then there is the idea of Kolam Marbel Sapeb Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim Arizem Shubach, which if you look in the seventh peric of Rambam in Hilfus Chometz Matzah, he uh, changes the word Marbe for Marech, but he also says Kolam Marech Lesapeb Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim Arizem Shubach. So this is an encouragement to speak more. And normally we are told to keep things as brief or in fact as silent as possible. And here we are being encouraged to add to our speech. There was a famous idea from the Ariza that Pesach is Pesach, the mouth which speaks. The whole Yontav gets its name from this element. And then when we come across the uh, Arabo Bonim, it is um, not what does the Rosha do or what does the Chochum do, but what do they say? And then we characterize the fourth child as It's all revolving around the concept of speech. Indeed, when we leave Mitzrayim, speech very much seems to dominate. But says Yisrael Mitzrayim, Beis Yaakov, where did we come out of? Me'am Le'ez, a language, foreign language. That seems to be at the heart of what Yitzhiya Mitzrayim achieved. 
we left this um le'es. And where did we travel to? So Dabar al-Bnei Yisrael, v'yachanu lifnei pi hachirois. The mouth of freedom. That was the first place that uh, we encamp in, in Parashat B'Shalach. Um, it is describing not just a geographical journey, but actually what we achieved through Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. So all of this builds a picture whereby speech features centrally in Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. So I will quote one line of a rather lengthy Zahar, because there's this one line that very much um, highlights what we have been mentioning. It says, Moshe had koil. The concept of koil, he had, but the dibur de'ihu, his speech, havabagolusa. His speech was in exile. And that's why he said to Zayar says, this is not the same argument as in the previous parish, in parish of Shmois, where he has already been given Aroin as this is a, a separate issue that Moshe now raises, namely that his Dibur is in Golos. It has, so to speak, been captured by Pari, and therefore he is incapable of Dibur. So let's understand what are words, what are names. Um, those of you who are familiar with Rabbi Munch's Sefer on the Sefer Seven Days of Bereshis will know the emphasis that he places on precisely this. So Plato, in one of his dialogues, writes about the fact that words are dangerous. Why? Because essentially... They are a convenient way to label things. In order for me to ask you to get that thing that is on the table that has prongs to it and is long and can be used to pick up a piece of schnitzel, it's easier for me to have a word called fork, which allows me to communicate in a more rapid fashion. So I called it a fork. But as he points out, and bringing it uh, more into the modern day, by only going back a thousand years, some drunk Anglo-Saxon or Norman could have invented a word, and that's why we're stuck with it. It has no inherent meaning whatsoever. It simply serves the function of being able to talk about things. But there's no inherent reason for it to be that way. The letters don't make up the words. The word doesn't have any meaning. And in fact, many of these words are misused because we don't quite know what they mean. So when we talk about awfully, awfully doesn't mean something that's bad. It means something that's filled with awe. Um, or when we say they were literally decimated. Um, that's true if one out of ten were removed, but not for any other mathematical equation. Um, inflammable 
means that it does burn, not that it does not. So because words are arbitrary and prefixes and suffixes could have gotten um, added on over time as we were conquered, um, these words are, are literally arbitrary. In contrast to Lush and Kodesh. Rashi points out in Boratius, when it says that a uh, woman is called Isha, Kime Ish Ukoha, says Rashi, Loshen Nofel Al Loshen. From here we know, here we see that the world was created with Loshen Hakodesh. That's what Rashi tells us. In other words, that there's an intrinsic element to Loshen Hakodesh. An, in, an inherent structure to it and to the letters therein. And in comparison, every other language is being mighty laws. It's, so to speak, an accusation, a rumor in comparison to the real thing. It's external. It's foreign. Whereas Russian Kodesh expresses the idea of the thing Itself. And hence, at the end of time, Yeshaya Novi tells us, we will all be able to see Kipi Hashem Diber. That's how we describe the Geulam in Yeshaya. We will see that it's HaKadosh Baruch Hu who said these words, and these words are meaningful. So, We've described Lashon Kodesh at being inherently able to define an object. And therefore we find, for instance, with Adam Arisha, when he gave the names to all of the animals, that's what its essence, essence was. Adam Arisha understood the capabilities of these creatures and understood the inherent depth of Russian Kodesh and was able to marry the two together. So Russian Kodesh is a language that can inherently describe an object. But it actually goes much further than that. It's not just a way of conveying the meaning of describing things. Russian Kodesh is actually how these things were made. It's not post facto that Russian Kodesh is very good at being able to understand an object, it's before it happened. Russian Kodesh made these things. Vayomer Elohim was not an instruction to a little malachim or something to run around and do something. In the act of the Sheshes Yimei Bereshis, or first six days of creation, Vayomer made it. The speaking of it brought it into being because speech is halfway between Mashava and Maisa, and therefore it bridged, so to speak, that gap. And therefore, Lashon Kadesh not only describes inherently things, it makes them, it makes them be. And therefore, all other languages in comparison it's not even an imitation. It's nothing. They are fiction. They can't create anything. And language actually reflects 
the culture and the ideology of a nation. Think of its poetry as an example. Language is simply telling us what this people is like and is inherently divisive. It, it belongs to this nation. It has these rules. Travel another 50 miles, new language, new rules, new culture. Therefore, Egyptian culture was one that was devoid of HaKadosh Baruch that was their philosophy. Who is Yudke Vovke? Don't know of him. As such, they are denying creation. They deify Paray. He does the job himself. And his Khartumim take care of all the details. Anything crops up, they've got the power to deal with it. But it's all controlled by us. It's all made by us. And we don't acknowledge Hashem, Hashemah Bukhayla. They remove HaKadosh Baruch Hu from the sea and from their language. And when Klon Yisrael is in Mitzrayim, enslaved to their Avedah Zorah, the Dibur of Klal Yisrael is in Golis because the language of Klal Yisrael has come. Nevertheless, the ability to express it was very, very limited. And therefore, we find that Golis starts in Parashat Shmois with Vayokam Melechodosh al Mitzrayim, Ashalayoda es Yosef. Why is his name mentioned? So, we normally understand it to be an act of um, betrayal to the Hakorosatayv that was owed to Yosef, the architect of uh, Egypt's economic recovery during the famine. But there is another element to Yosef. Yosef, as we are told in the Medrash, knew that one language that Paray didn't and had to take a shvur that he would not betray this. Why didn't he just teach Paray this language? you know, go to some language school, and in six months, he would be speaking that language. The language of Lush and Kodesh is not just a language. It's the language of, of unity, where everything belongs to our Kodesh Baruch Hari was never going to learn that language. We'd have to change everything that he was, everything that he stood for. And therefore, it had to remain an unknown language. And therefore, when the Golos starts, it starts... By this removal from Yosef, from Russian Kodesh, a descent into a place where Kodesh Baruch Hu does not feature. To roll all this back, to reveal the Dvar Hashem, which created the world and keeps the world going every single moment, what had to happen? So in terms of Mesa, they needed the ten Makos, in order to reveal the Aseris Adibris. Maral talks about this, um, but it is the Maisa Hashem of Rabbi Ashkenazi who talks about it as particularly reflecting in reverse order, the uh, Ten Makos being the reverse of the Asura Mamoris. We see it in the last two most easily, that uh, Chayshech being the ninth Maka and Oyer 
being the uh, the memra there, the second of the memories, and the, the, the last of the makos being the creation, the act of, of uh, life and death, absolute uh, mastery and power over life and death, makos b'chayrit, that is the equivalent of the very beginnings of creation of Barashi's borah. And therefore, in terms of Mysa, there had to be these SM Makos in order to reveal the Asara Mamoris, the fact that we are living in Akadosh Baruchu's world, which is seen through the language that Akadosh Baruchu brought into being. And in terms of language, we had to replace the Pe-Ra, which is Pari, with Pe-Soch. Now, this means that what took place when we left Mitzrayim is that speech was freed. Russian Kodesh came out of Golos, along with us, so to speak. It was a Golos Adibu. It was redeemed on Leil Seder. It is part of the Gu'ula, which is why we emphasize speech on this night. And we find Rashi tells us on the very famous possible that now Hashem is post Yitzhak Mitzrayim and Matan Terah. So we accepted Hashem Elokeinu. But there will come a time Hashem Echod. Hashem is always Echod, but Ushmoi Echod. Akadosh Baruch Hu will be declared as being Echod. At the end of time, so at the moment of Hashem Alekenu, eventually it will be Hashem Echod. That the declaration, it's always that Hashem is Echod, that the declaration that Hashem is Echod will come at the end of time. And Rashi quotes a posuk, which the Rambam also quotes at the very end of Hilchus Malachim, that Oz Efoich El Amim Sofov Rura Likroi Kulam B'Shem Hashem. There will come a time at the end of time when there will only be one language. Sofra Brura, a language of clarity, a language that is Mavarer, that makes it absolutely clear and allows people to declare Shem Hashem, because it is only in Noshim Kodesh that inherently we declare Shem Hashem. And therefore, at the time of Torah Flogger, Rashi tells us that when the Torah informs us they were Sofa Achas, Rashi says Noshim Kodesh. They spoke Noshim Kodesh. And what did they attempt to do? To create a unity Without Hakodesh Baruch Hu. But unity without Hakodesh Baruch Hu is inherently a falsehood. It's like the United Nations. And therefore, it's not unified. So what Hakodesh Baruch Hu did by creating all the languages at that point was to demonstrate how without that inherent unity, not the external elements of it, but without inherent unity, it is bound to fall apart. It is bound to fracture because at that point, everyone is interested in their own 
self-interest in the ship in Lasha. And therefore, many, many ideas which are used in the modern day world are simply a fiction. The, the, the concept of the Judeo-Christian ethic, Enkaze, doesn't exist. There are things which are MS and come from us, and there are things which are Sheker because they didn't come from us. There is no marrying of the two together. It's either real, it's inherent, and it's ours, or, yep, it's got no cue. And it is fascinating that Yaakov Ovinu, when he now has Claudius Yisrael, the Imoy is set up, he has been in Golis, he's on his way back to Eretz Yisrael. He wants to create a separation between him and Lovon. How does he do it? Yeah, he builds sort of uh, a physical matseva of stones. But what does he then do, which shows the inherent difference between him and Lovon? Well, he calls it Gal Eid, and Lovon calls it Igar Sadusa. Words of Aramaic. They're not Lashon Kodesh. You look at the Gevara in Megillah, it tells us that, uh, you know, we, that, uh, um, that there are words which are not purely Lashon Kodesh. So that, more than anything else, shows that Yaakov and Lovon are on completely different trajectories. Because only one speaks Lashon Kodesh. Only one speaks the language of unity of MS. The other, no, no. And I saw last night that the Rebbe of Heschel, the, uh, the Rebbe of the Shach, who, um, those of you who many moons ago uh, came to um, Poland on the uh, Shul trip, now first, I believe, um, would have uh, been all likelihood dovened at that cave. It's sort of located halfway between the Tostas Yontif and the Bach, and the, along the back wall there. So um, the Reverend Heschel makes the following comment. says, Yaakov introduced the differences in language, but it ended up being introduced into the Torah. And that is now, so to speak, laid at his door. There was a Golos Hadibur that he created to some degree. He goes through a whole Arichos, Abram, Yitzhak, etc. Just to point out this, because it's relevant to the Agoda. It says, Arami Oyved Ovi doesn't mean the Aramean. It means Aramaic. Arami, because Yaakov introduced this language into the Torah, Oyved Ovi, that caused his loss. And therefore it says, Vayered Mitzrayma. How do we explain that in the Haggadah? Onus forced Alpiha Dibur. Because of the dibur that came about of a foreign language, of an umloyes in the Torah. And hence we find that the brothers, how do we describe their enmity to Yosef? And then what happens? They sell him into slavery. How? And they sold him. Why do we need to know where this caravan of Yishmaelim came from? 
Who cares? It could have come from Tesco. Balmy Gillard. Gillard is Gallade. It came as a result of the difference between Gallade and Yigar Sadusa. And that caused the breakdown. And interestingly, as soon as Yosef reveals himself to his brothers, and the beginning of an understanding of the redemption of uh, God of Sadibur starts, then his brothers were able to speak to him immediately there in Parshas Vayigash. As far as Kalal Yisrael were concerned, the shira that was said at the end of Pesach was an extension of this Dibur that they had regained, and the ultimate reclaiming of it was, of course, the Aseris Hadibur. When that happens, the, the Golas Hadibur is over. And therefore, each year, we are enjoined not just to be Mekayim a mitzvah of mentioning, but actually and all the other expressions of Dibur that go into particularly Pesach more than any other occasion. Because we are acknowledging the origins of the world through HaKadosh Baruch Hu, through the means of Loshon Kodesh, that that brought the Asara Mamoris and all of creation into being, that that was revealed through the Makais, and therefore is an, uh, an integral element of what happened at the Tzias Mitzrayim, that, that we connect to that original idea. And the Kodesh Baruch Hu created Le'olam Tvarcho Nitzav Bashmayim, that the words of HaKadosh Baruch Hu are what gave stability to Shemayim Ba'aretz. Uh, may we be Zoycha to be Mekayim, this mitzvah, Musa, so that we are able to key in to these ideas of Emunah. <laughs>